Have you ever wondered why some young people choose to end their lives? Ever wondered who they are and who they left behind? Have you ever wanted to hear their stories? Would you like answers to these questions and many more? Welcome to Suicide Pages with Dr. Lulu. Her mission is to shine light on these young people, create awareness for, and educate the world on youth suicide. Opinions expressed in this podcast are those of Dr. Lulu and her guests. They are not a substitute for professional advice. If you are experiencing suicidal thoughts, call 1-800-273-TALK or send a text to www.crisistextline.org. Now, here's Dr. Lulu. Good afternoon and welcome to another episode of Suicide Pages with Dr. Lulu, the podcast. I hope you guys have been doing okay. I have been doing okay. And today we have a guest who is doing okay. Her name is Estelle Vasco Elefonses. Is that correct? Yes. So she is French. She lives in Zurich, Switzerland. She is a, an accountant and she has a nice story of survival and I want to use the word conquering suicidal attempts because she's alive and well today. So she has a story of survival and victory, I think is probably the best, victory over suicidal attempts. And without further ado, we're going to let Miss Estelle introduce herself because I'm sure I didn't do a great job of it. and. Tell us her story. So, Miss Estelle, take it away. Thank you very much. Hello, everybody. So, yes, I am Estelle, and uh, I come from Arctic and currently live in Zurich, in Switzerland. And uh, I like to say now that I am a former financial accountant <laughs> after 14 years. And um, indeed, I have an history of uh, history of uh, suicidal attempts, and uh, it was only recently that I can really say I am I am feeling good. I'm good, and I'm happy, and and I am happy to share my story, and I am fine to talk about it. Very good. Thank you so much for that intro. So obviously, you know, I want to know, and I know the listeners want to know too. So where does your story begin? Is it at the age of five, at the age of 10? Where does it begin and what happened? Can you tell us, please? Um, of course, well, for now, I can say, uh, I believe it started at the age of 11. Um, I, like to say, I, I like to say that because uh, I have noticed with time that you have memories that come back after several years and may perhaps it goes deeper or earlier than that. But I believe it started at the age of 11 um, when I was sexually assaulted by a family member. And uh, at the time I was, I think I switched on my survival mode on, in a way. And it was also within a culture where you know, silence, religion, 
were sacred. So, um, and I was very afraid of my mother. So, um, my, my aggressor made it very clear that no one should know. And at the same time, I was not fully aware of what had happened. I just know it was wrong, it hurt, it was very, it was violent, but I did not know what it was. I did not even know what it was because we, I did not, did not have any sexual education. And, uh, and again, the taboos within the culture uh, made it that we did not talk about those things at home. So- um, Did you know your assailant? Did you know, did you know your- um... Yes, he, he was uh, my auntie's husband. Wow. So uh, he was someone very close to the family, the type of person everybody adored, oh um, that everybody looked up to. And uh, yes, so um, I so I kept it I kept it quiet, but at the same time, I was I was feeling worse and worse. And at the age of thirteen, I had my first suicide attempt. Wow. And um, a little bit about how how was that? How did that? What was what happened? I um, basically I swallowed just about everything I could find in the house, from medicines to cleaning products. But and I so I started to feel sick, and um, my mother finally almost passed out, and she she was angry and scared. Um, so I, she made me basically vomit whatever I took and I was, I was okay, but, um, but I could see the fear in her eyes and also how angry she was because she had no idea how to deal with the situation like that. Luckily, I, well, nothing, there was uh, no, no additional care uh, necessary, but she really, She's almost asked me why I did that, but at the same time, not really. Um, again, the lack of yeah, communications and or open communication. So um, somehow we both sort of agreed that it had to do with the fact that my father was not living with us and because they had divorced and it was, uh, it was convenient for everybody like that. So, um, so life went on, and um, after the more I grew up, the the worse I felt, and I could not talk to everybody. And then I started to understand what had actually really happened to me, and I started to hear about it as well um, about other people. There were other girls at school or within the neighborhood who had been through the same things, and when I Every time we talked about it, of course, people would always talk about, first of all, how much this man was such a good man, and maybe he was drunk, or maybe he made a mistake, or somehow there was always some sort of sympathy for, for, for them. And uh, for the girls themselves, I also observed that many of them were either sent to France, or because I was, I was in Martinique, so um. And most of us in Martinique, we do have families living in, in, in the main country in France. So they would send them uh, to live with an uncle, a cousin, an aunt, 
um, or they would change school. And, and, and even though I was not necessarily super happy at home, but I didn't want to be sent somewhere. <laughs> um, so it's like also, you know, it's like they, they could not be seen because there was all the shame. So they had to just, the families just had to get rid of them. It's just, yeah. So, um, so I kept, I, I, I then went on with this and um, between the age of, I would say maybe, yeah, 16 to, to 18, maybe 15 to 18, I somehow managed to be still a good student, but I had then a very a double life. So uh, I would be almost the perfect girl that my mom wanted me to be because anyway, there was no other option for anything else. Um, I had to do good at school, I had to be good. And, um, and on the other side, there was this other darker side of me who would, um, I would be dating all these older men and um, who were mostly, well, they were actually all married and they were all the same type of men who were very successful in their, in their lives. They were all, all family men, all well-respected within the neighborhood. And um, so I was sort of looking for love in the very wrong places. And they would treat me just like an object. They would, they would not care. And of course, telling me about how bad their lives were at home. And, um, but they were very violent with me and um, always. And, as, and oftentimes, I also, there was a part of me who hoped that one of them would actually kill me so I would not have to kill myself. Oh my gosh. Yes. Um, Yes, and um, and somehow every time I went home, I would never think of that. It's like my body would not even remember. I would not feel a, an ounce of pain in my body. Nothing. Mm-hmm. It's just like as soon as uh, and actually as soon as when I was with them, the moment they would touch me, it's like I would anyway go into a mode of freeze. I would not feel anything. I would not hear anything, and I would just wait until they did what they, whatever they had to do and uh, and only wait for the this this few seconds when they would actually be nice to me or kind and maybe cuddle me then that was the only thing I just because it's like it was worth all this pain just for the few seconds of comfort hmm. if you can't call it that so um and I did a lot of uh Hitchhijacking, that is called, in, when you go, yes, I believe in English. I, I, I think it's hitchhiking. Is that when you like just get in a car with someone you don't know? That's, that's right. Um, instead of taking the, the bus uh, to, to go to school or, uh, or to go home, I would do that. And I, because there will always be this sense of danger and I would always think something might happen to me because you hear it in the news that yes. people act and uh, uh, so I was afraid of that but at the same time I was try, trying to create that and uh, so I would just uh, get in the car with just anyone and 
sometimes they would not take me home. They would some 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 people were kind of nice and they would actually take me home or to the school, but many would actually take advantage of the situation and uh, um, just drive somewhere else. And um, but um, yes, I so none of them actually uh, killed me, although they they most many of them aggressed me were very violent um verbally and physically so i um i started to make new plans to try to find a way to just stop living and uh, i actually don't um i don't like to go too much in details into the methods i used because i realized that when i was feeling highly suicidal or simply down or a little depressed. If I heard about someone talking about what they did or what they tried to do, it would actually give me ideas. It would trigger, yes. And actually my wife is a psychologist and she, she warned against that. I mean, not against, but she warned about that. She said, you do know that some people, and indeed it's, I don't know if you know the, the phrase suicide contagion. Have you heard about that or suicide no. So it is a, it's a phenomenon where we use the word sensationalizing and okay. over, over broadcasting and over talking about suicide over, 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 over again will for the right person trigger suicidal thoughts. And as a parent and as a mother, as a pediatrician, my, my pediatrician, my job is to empower the parents to know that and therefore come up with their own systematic way of bringing up the topic without necessarily every single day, every single hour, every single moment. You know, it's like when you hear it too much, like when, I don't know, probably in Switzerland, they televised the 9-11. When the 9-11 happened, like every single TV station, every single day for every single, oh my God, like nonstop. I couldn't watch TV because I'm not going to jump up out of the building but i don't like seeing those kind of images and so i completely understand whereas it's not quite the same there are parallels too much i don't watch horror movies i don't watch you know movies about people in jail i just i'll stay up all night mm -hmm. thinking about it you know so to each his own so i completely respect that and you you don't have to like i said in the intro if you don't feel like talking about it it's completely fine you don't have to i i respect it Thank you. But I think telling us that you were suicidal is, is plenty. I can't get enough people to even want to talk mm -hmm. to me about that. But my aim is to talk about these stories, but also mainly because I want people to know that you're not alone. There's help out there. There's light at the end of the tunnel. And by painting that picture, hopefully someone out there, and by the right person telling the story, someone out there will say, okay, this is what she did. That's why the most important part of my interview is not necessarily your suicide journey, is how you came out from the journey, how you ended the journey. Because to me, that's key. I know a lot of people get on the road to a suicide, and many of us, thankfully, don't make it to the destination. But enough of us make it to the destination. For those of us who do not, I want to highlight how did, what did you do? How did it end? You know, how did the story end? And so I appreciate you just talking about it at all. Thank you. Thank you. 
So, um, so do you want do you want to continue talking about the like the because you, you kind of got to your young, young maybe between sixteen and I guess twenty something. Do you want to tell us what happened after that age or up until today? You're forty something. That's twenty. Years. <laughs> yes, of course. Um, actually, I I realized I think the reason why I I insisted so much about these teenage years is because I um until two years ago I had no recollection of all this time. It only came back two years ago very clearly. And, and so I went through my entire adult life without remembering, without being aware. And, uh, and then, from, and at the same time, I, I knew I never felt well. And I always felt like there was something ugly in me, something that, that I didn't want to see and I didn't want people to see. So, and I didn't know what it was, but I just knew it was super ugly and bad enough to be hidden. So, um, and it so could I very well be. It could very, I'm sorry, it could very well be that that was a hysterical, what they call a hysterical conversion, a hysterical process, which makes you either blind or not able to talk or not able to see or not able to remember. You suppress this moment because it's so painful. It's so bad. Your body completely shuts that heart in a box and locks it through the key away. And a lot of times that happens maybe with good therapists or I don't know, what, 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 what made you step you know, recollecting? Um, I met a man two years ago and um, he, we were just discussing about our, when we met, who we are, what we've been through, what we've done and all of that. And uh, he was just telling me about how when he was younger, when he was 20, or in his, in his early 20s, um, he was a student and a ski instructor for to pay his studies. And um, at that time, he was telling me, he was joking about how he was so cute and handsome and all these women used to come after him. And But I noticed his face changing a little bit because I was thinking, I was a little too judgmental, thinking, but what is he complaining about? Isn't that all men want? <laughs> and... Um, but then he carried on and said that he he was that was one of the saddest time of his life because he was not getting so much love at home and he thought all these men liked him but they were only using him for sex oh. and they are not they were booking lessons for him with him sorry uh, but they were not interested in skiing interested interested in skiing they just wanted to have sex with him because he was young and cute. And he thought they just liked him and he, he felt really bad. And, I, and at that moment, I felt really something really strong in me. And from that day on, I started to have dreams and I knew something was boiling, something wanted to come out. And about three weeks later, it all came out. I was meditating and it all came back to me. And then I realized, oh, that's why I felt so strongly when he told me the story. That it explains why I felt this way. And um, and yes, and that was just two years ago. So did you get therapy at any point in time ever? I mean, did you, because um, I know you said you have some exciting things that you're doing about the book. <laughs> oh. Yes, I, I did. I actually, I've been through therapy for over 
over 10 years. Wow. Because I knew something was wrong and I always trying to figure out why I was always repeating, doing the same thing and why I always had this depression episode and, and yes. And um, so, but since two years ago, when everything became clear, then the also therapy changed, I've changed therapist and we, um, and then we were able to really work on some way much deeper and, um, and I could go to all those dark places. And then I started to write a lot as well. And, um, and I was able to see that, yes, I had, because I had put on a sort of a, this perfect picture of me. I was like, I, everything was always perfect. Everybody, my friends, everyone would tell you that everything was always perfect. She always has everything perfect because I simply, it was natural. I knew I had something to hide and I had to be perfect. I had to go to work. Nothing should, you know, like a button would not be in the wrong place. <laughs> Not even a strand of hair should be out of place. Oh, wow. Oh, my God. My hair was perfect. <laughs> I know. Wow. Hmm. I know that I can imagine. Did you ever, did you ever speak with your mom? Have you, have you I, now I that have, you can talk about it? I have. Well, that's, that's, uh, it's still, it's still uh, a work in progress. So, um, I have actually, I've, I've spoken to her a few years ago and I have met with my first aggressor as well. And I told him not to, because I, I did not expect to see him when I went to visit my family and I told him not to approach me. Um, and I spoken to my mother about it and one of my aunts. So, but even though things are moving, but the, yeah, the taboos and the secrets and the, are still very, very powerful over there and um so i uh and luckily i studied english literature at university and i do and i can speak english i write in english because i'm the only person in my family who speaks english actually so everybody speaks french so i write in english <laughs> and um i also publish in english that's good because um I am still concerned about, yes, how my family is not going to act well about this. And I know my friends tell me and people tell me I should write it in French and I, and I will at some point, but I need to, I need to prepare them a little more. <laughs> Soften the ground a little bit. And I completely, I completely understand that. And, and you, you know, I'm sure your therapist would tell you you don't have to do it if you don't want to. So I mean, don't feel like no. True, it's true. But I, I, because um, I'd like to 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 write it in English, in French. Sorry, because well, I am French and I interact with uh, the French community here, and I go to France all the time. And I'm also I follow as well everything that has to do with mental health and also depression or um, suicide in France. But I always have this barrier that I, I cannot really participate because my fam my entire family does not know everything about it and I don't want them to find out like on the news or something no I think that what, I, what I was gonna say is you know without due respect to the English speakers the for the French speakers for the fact that not that you want to 
put your f family aside, but you have to also think about everyone else that you can help, other little girls that you can help, even your family members that you can help. Because in Nigeria, they say a thief is never caught on his first day. So it's unlikely that you're the only person that this gentleman molested. It's unlikely. And as you get older, one thing you have on your side is age. I mean, the most he can do is try to deny it. But, you know, I'm, I'm Nigerian and I live in America. And I remember when Bill Cosby's story came out, everybody was like, oh, my God, here they go again. Bill Cosby, the innocent man. But he wasn't innocent. He did that to those women. And so Bill Cosby or no Bill Cosby, that's bullshit Cosby. You know, the point is he did it. And so as someone who was molested when I was nine by one of the, the guys in the neighborhood, I know that I, didn't, I couldn't say my parents until I was 42, but I told them, they didn't say anything, you know, exciting, but I told them and I was done. I need to close it. You need to close it. You need to close it. I don't know where he is now. He's probably died a very painful death. Who knows? I don't know. But the point is, I told, and, I, and I'm telling everyone that can hear me, same thing, you know, you're doing here, just telling your story. You know, you could have also said your name is not Estelle. You could have given me a different name. You know what I mean? There's a lady who can't even talk about it. She's just sending me an email. And that's fine too. But just consider the fact that many, many people out there can read your story and be empowered. One, two, your family members may very well be dealing with this. And everyone is saying the same thing. I don't want to talk. I don't want to talk. And I know he's probably married with kids, but he may even molest his own kids. People like this, they don't have a conscience and they must be stopped for the sake of God or whatever power in the universe that you believe in. So you think about it. I mean, obviously the decision is yours. Nobody wants to ruffle feathers, but there are just some things that are not best kept secret. Only because if he had died in any of your attempts, it would have gone to the grave with you. And the story that will be told about you will never, ever just be justified. They will come up with any kind of theory to say that that's what caused your death. Except the truth that you had been hurt at a very young age as an innocent 11-year-old. Your life was cut short in a sense. You were not allowed to enjoy natural teenage life because somebody decided that it was his place to take advantage of you. And people like that, if they don't get caught, they're never going to stop. Bill Cosby only stopped because he got caught. How many more people are out there? That's the thing. You're right. Oh, you are, you are all right. I am not going to argue with that. I, I, <laughs> I know you are. I, um, I thought about it you know, or for days, all the time, I still think about it. And, uh, and indeed, I, I've, I've always suspected as well that uh, uh, he has molested other people. Oh, there's no question. There's no question. He's the only one. Um, I know that. And um, there is also, the thing is, like, like I said, it's my, my um, I was really scared of my mother. I mean, <laughs> in our culture who wasn't <laughs> and, uh, i know don't i know it uh, i just pray my kids don't ever grow up using using the word my referring to me in the same sentence as fear i, I just pray 
that my children, I have three sons and I pray every day that they don't put me in the same, the same phrase as fear. You know what I mean? Because yeah. I grew up with that. Everybody in Nigeria grew up and it's not good. Now I know better. Your kids, they're a gift. And if you, if you take your bag, your Louis Vuitton bag, or your, your nice pair of Michael Kors glasses, if you say, oh, that's my glasses. Oh, I love my bag. Then what about your child? <laughs> what about your child? So yeah, but anyway. So do you have any favorite quotes, any favorite books you read, anything, any favorite music you listen to, favorite podcasts that you listen to, mm -hmm. anything, that, anything you do to help you feel better? I know you said something about meditation. That's good. Um, yes, I do. Um, I, uh, I have many favorite quotes, but one I would say that uh, spoke to me a lot, a great deal over the past couple of years. It's from uh, Madame Yonla Vincent. Um, and it says, feelings buried alive do not die. Mm. And um, oh, saying it's yeah, I have this wrong, and it's so true. Mm. It is so true. I um, so I read. I to read her books. I uh, I took Ian Vincent's uh, forgiveness class. Mm. Well, that was also very helpful. I love it. I still actually uh, go through it sometimes. That's good. Um. I also, yes, I meditate a lot and I, um, I also use something called EFT or, tap, or tapping. I like to do that as well. Uh, emotional freedom techniques. Tell the listeners, just, I don't know, briefly, very briefly what that is. Well, it is a, a technique that is, um, that anybody can actually do and use with using your, your fingers, your, your tips to tap on what they call acupressure points. So you, you have um, basically on the eyebrows, uh, in on the side of the eye, under the eye, under the nose, under the mouth, here, the collarbone here as well, and the different point under the arm, on top of the head. There are a few other points for more advanced tappers, like liver and the knees and the wrist, but, um, and, while doing that, you also, sorry, the karate chop, which is on the side. So while you're, doing, you're tapping on the points and you basically say, um, as an example, if you're not, if you're feeling overwhelmed and you don't know why and you just need to calm down, so you just uh, state the, where, you, where you are, when you're at. So you, you tap, uh, even though I, I feel overwhelmed, I fully accept how I feel and, uh, you know, uh, I love myself and how I feel. So positive, so like positive affirmations. Somebody actually told me about EFT recently. It is, but at first you really have to start with the negative of where you are. If you, let's say, let's be okay, a little, because it happens, a little rude. <laughs> I don't like, but you are like pissed off. So then you can really say, even though I am really pissed off right now, I love myself and I accept how I feel and I'm pissed off why and what's going on and I hate it and I and then until you you know you come down and perhaps while saying it you feel better and you evacuate it and and you start to probably understand more and then when you feel you start feeling better and then you can say okay I choose I choose to feel better now I can I can do better I can deal with that 
and it's okay, I am okay, and I can do that. Or you can, there are some, many coaches or, or, or practitioners, uh, but you can also create your own because it's really, it can be very personal. Personal, and, yeah, I figure. Um, Wow, it's been a wonderful, I can't believe it's almost an hour. Can you believe that? <laughs> no. yes. We're almost an hour. We have like six minutes. You know, on the clock. You know I told you once you get in the, in the zone, it's, it's, it's cathartic. You know, it makes you feel better. It's a great release. And then at the end of the, the, the on the other side of this podcast is, an, is a pair of ears that needs to hear your story. And for me, I will keep talking until my voice is completely gone because of that one little piece that I know there's someone out there that needs to hear the story. And you never know, it might be, it might be your story. And so did you have any final words, any words of encouragement? Any, where can the listeners find you? Um, well, um, I, I believe, yes, it is possible to overcome suicide. It is really. I didn't think it was, uh, but it is. And uh, it's it is important to be kind enough and find the right people to talk about it, especially at the beginning, because once you own your story and you own it, it's easier to talk about other to talk about it with others. Uh, but it's at first it's, it's good to find um, people who are not going to judge you or who are kind or who are willing to listen or just simply listen. And if that's not possible, then call a professional. There are many help online, many free numbers to, to call, and they will definitely be able to hear and and they will not think that we are weird or you know that you are <laughs> or that you're crazy or that you need you're looking for attention or you're a drama queen or king. They will not think that. You're not so, judging. Absolutely. So it's all it's uh, it's true that it is important to seek for help. And not to think that you can just do it alone and you know that you, you can do this, you can deal with it. <laughs> uh, because maybe you, you can't. <laughs> um, yeah, it's true. It's true. So, um, okay, so it looks like, what, uh, do you have like a social media presence? Do you want um, to handle actually, it? Or? Uh, only for the, over the past few weeks, I've started to, that's why I say I like to think of myself as a former, as a former accountant. Um, I'm working on a new project right now, which is called, which is supposed to be called uh, Lovely, Happy and Healthy. And uh, it's about well-being and well-being consultancy. I also am working on several books. Wow. <laughs> and, uh, and I have published a, a small, a short story about actually my, uh, my suicidal tendency and it's called the the battle inside my suicidal mind that people can find on kindle so it's very yeah. short so um it can be inspired and share their stories and make you know suggest for more and uh, um, so that that was that was uh, maybe the first one of the first steps to really feel free and uh, and be happy and to get this out of me this and not let the, the suicidal thoughts eat me alive anymore. <laughs> I am so appreciative. Well, ladies and gentlemen, you heard it from her. I mean, she came here today and she laid it all on the Zoom floor, if there's such a thing. Her name is Estelle. She's from Zurich. 
I just love the fact that she's finally coming to terms with everything. I know you can't see her, but I can. And I promise you, you can tell that from the beginning to now, the release in her body language, everything is just different. You can tell that she's letting go. It's a, it's a journey. Not, no, Rome wasn't built in a day, neither was Zurich. But certainly it's, it's been a journey. And you could tell by watching her expressions, expressions that she's come a long way. And God bless you. Thank you so much for telling us your story from, from when you were 11. She plotted a nice little graph for us. She had flashbacks forever. She knew that there was something violent inside of her, something that needed to come out. She had some sexual assault. My family member, of course, who was famous and the good guy everybody wants to go to, but not really. First suicide attempt was at the age of 13. She comes from a country called Martinique, where indeed we have issues with silence and religion. And she had this fear of her mother. Her favorite quote, she said, is from Miss Yann Lavanzant, and it's called um, Feelings Buried Alive Don't Die. I love it. I love it. Her own personal quote that I got from her was that she's somewhat, she was somewhat of a serial hitchhiker. <laughs> Not quite a quote, but I got that, I got that. But I think, let me see, I think the quote that I, is that I was afraid of my mother, but in our culture, who is not? That is so powerful. <laughs> I was afraid of my mother, but in our culture, who is not? Thank you very much, Ms. Estelle. Thank you so much for everything. We appreciate it. This is Dr. Lulu. This is Suicide Pages, the podcast, y'all. Thank you so much for listening. Tune in again next time for Suicide Pages. Peace out, people. Bye. Thank you, Dr. Lulu. Thank you. <laughs> oh, yeah. And thank you, Estelle. You're welcome. Thank you.